Let's take a journey back to 2003. Canadian teen sensation Avril Lavigne was topping the charts and turning the music industry upside down. But what if I told you that the Avril Lavigne we know and love might not be the same Avril? What? Did Avril die? Was she replaced by a doppelganger? I'm Joanne McNally and I'm doing a deep dive into a notorious internet conspiracy. Who replaced Avril Lavigne? Listen wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Hello, I'm Matt Galloway and this is The Current Podcast. Alexei Navalny's widow continues to speak out in the wake of her husband's death last week. The longtime Russian opposition leader died in an Arctic prison Yulia Navalny blames President Vladimir Putin for what happened. We will have enough of his huge love to continue with his cause as long as it takes. In that video statement released on Monday, Yulia Navalny asked Russians to join her in picking up Navalny's fight. I address you with Alexei's own words, in which he believed very much. It is not shameful to do little. It is shameful to do nothing. Yesterday, the Canadian government summoned Russia's ambassador in protest over Navalny's death and called for a full inquiry and a return of his body to his family. Boris Akunin was a friend of Alexei Navalny's and is a longtime critic of Vladimir Putin. He's a celebrated Russian author who now lives in the UK. Boris, hello. Good morning. I'm sorry for the loss of of your friend. Um, Can you tell me about the moment that you you learned that Alexei Navalny had died? Hmm... It was in the morning. I always write in the mornings, and my wife tries to make no sign. The sound she never enters. This time she entered without knocking, and I looked at her, and I understood immediately something bad happened. There were tears in her eyes, and she said that Alexei was dead. Were you surprised that that after everything that he had gone through, um, that that he had died? I was shocked, but no, I was not surprised because. I did not expect this story to end well. You know, this was a Nelson Mandela-like situation. The opposition leader in prison, you know, a sort of Prometheus chained to a rock. We all knew, of course, that a Mandela saga ends with the hero regaining freedom, becoming the leader of the country. But... I knew that it was knowing it was not going to end like this because Putin knows this saga well too, and he was afraid. That's why he had Alexei killed or I don't know tortured to death. Doesn't really matter mm. when you put a prisoner twenty-seven times in the punishment cell in a prison which is inside the Arctic Circle. It is a slow execution. No one can survive that for long. How long? How far back does your relationship with Alexei Navalny go? Uh, like. 12 years, maybe a little more. And to you, what did he mean when it came to to being, I said he's a leading uh, or the leading opposition uh, figure in in Russia. What did he mean to you? Well, at the beginning, for me, he was just a politician, a political activist. So someone whom I support if our opinions coincide. They did not always coincide. There were different times and epochs, but with time, when I came to know Alexei better, I liked him immensely. I respected him. And in the past years, after the assassination attempt, after he willingly returned to Russia to become the symbol of resistance, the spirit of defiance, well, 
I admired him greatly. And this is an awful personal loss for me too, because I know him and I know Yulia and well, I love them both. Mm. You were in touch with him last year, right? Like you sent out questionnaires to political prisoners uh, in Russia, including him. What, 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 what were the questions that you wanted answered from him? And what did he say in, in those answers? It was a project, uh, the aim of which was to support political prisoners in Russia. Uh, a group of volunteers, an anonymous group, of course, because they are in Russia, they made contact with many, many, many political prisoners in Russia. And the idea was that there, uh, there is the famous prisoner, Alexei Navalny, He'd answer these questions too, and he will bring to light the names of all those who are also in prison so that they would get public attention. People will write to them. People will would support them. So uh, I made a questionnaire of 13 questions. They are basic questions like how, uh, who you are, mm. what do you do, what you do, what do you believe in, what do you like, what do you dislike. What do you think of Russia today? Very basic questions, which when uh, they read all of them, they make, well, a portrait of a person. And Alexei answered all these questions brilliantly. Is there anything that he said that surprised you? <laughs> well, he was, well, what surprised me? Not really, because I knew him, I had known him well, but a lot of things would probably would have seemed to people who didn't know him personally as as uh, as uh, as unexpected. What do you mean? You laughed when I asked you that question. Because he always answered often answered in a funny in a funny way. He had a lot of wit. He always laughed. He always smiled. <laughs> I don't know. What did that tell you? I mean, even just in, in the last videos that we saw of him, he was still cracking jokes while he was in a, a very dire state behind bars. Because that was what he was. He wasn't breakable. He was confident. He was optimistic in terrible circumstances. So when uh, Putin killed him, it was, of course, to break the spirit of resistance in general, to show to Russians that you cannot fight against this force. It will break everything. And at first it seemed that the plan worked because, you know, with Mandela killed, there is no hope. So social networks were filled with, it is the end sort of lamentations. It seemed that Putin's plan worked. But three days later, Yulia, the widow, declared that she will continue Alexei's work. And it became clear that the spirit of resistance is very much alive. How difficult so, is it to be part of that resistance? I mean, there's thousands or over a thousand people uh, currently imprisoned in Russia as a result of of politically motivated persecutions. We heard this morning Vladimir Karamuza um, speaking, an opposition leader speaking from behind bars. He was calling for people to to you know, not give up, but he also was talking about how he believed there's this assassination squad that is going out, wiping out opponents of, of Vladimir Putin. In the face of Alexei Navalny's death, how difficult is it for that spirit of resistance to stay alive? It is very difficult. It is very dangerous. I admire 
people who are inside Russia and who still continue to do what they do. Because if you are in emigration like myself, it doesn't demand bravery or courage. You just say or write what you think, and that's it. Really? And that's I mean, there, there are a lot of people who are exiles who speak out against Vladimir Putin, who find themselves being poisoned, who find themselves falling out of windows. Mm, still, this sort of risk cannot be compared to the risk which people are taking who are inside Russia. Now, when you think of them, you just feel ashamed to be afraid of anything living under these conditions. Absolutely. Absolutely. What do you think those inside Russia who are speaking out, what can they practically achieve, do you think? At this moment, the most effective thing which they can do is just talking to people around them. Because the real fight for the future of Russia, and not only Russia, is going on now in the minds and hearts. In the mind, of course, in the general mood of the people. And here... The fact that Yulia is now continuing the work is very important because this is going to make a difference. She is different from Alexei. She is different because Alexei, he was speaking to people's minds, to logic, to brain. And Yulia, from her first speech, it is evident that she is going to appeal to hearts, mm. to emotions. And this is much more powerful because... Putin also addresses Russians, but he relies on intimidation. So people now will uh, compare these two types of discourse. So we shall see what is more effective, fear or, or love. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you sound almost optimistic. I am optimistic because Alexei was optimistic, and I am optimistic because I believe that Russia is going to survive this black period and become a normal, a healthy country again, because it is a huge country. Mm. And in, well, maybe I am a writer, I have my own uh, point of view, but for me, the most important thing in a country is the richness of its culture, whether it has this uh, tradition of humanity, of compassion, of cultural sophistication, and Russia has its all. So this is going to prevail eventually. Can you imagine a time when you'll be able to go back to Russia? Of course. Of course, I think that Putin's regime is more fragile than it looks. It can break down any minute. It almost happened last summer with this military putsch. And uh, there will be new mistakes that the dictator will make because he's so sure of himself. He make blunders again and again, and he will do them again in the future. And besides, people like Yulia are going to make a difference. Mm. Boris, I'm glad to talk to you about this. We'll be watching. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Boris Akunin is a novelist, writer, and friend of Alexei Navalny's. He was in the UK. Grab your VIP pass. 
We're delving into the secretive world of Formula One. Behind the scenes with two of the sport's biggest names, Mercedes and Williams. This is not coal mining, this is Formula One motor racing. As they build their new cars. We want to be so much further ahead. We are in permanent racing mode. And face shocking headlines. Here's Lewis Hamilton moving away from Mercedes. I'm Joseph Fiennes and this is F1, back at base. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Alexei Navalny was by far the most visible symbol of the Russian opposition. Under Vladimir Putin, as we mentioned, many other opposition figures have been killed, jailed, or have fled the country. Jan Mati Dolbaum is the co-author of a book called Navalny, Putin's Nemesis, Russia's Future. He's a political scientist at Ludwig Maximilian University of Munich. Good morning to you. Good morning. Thanks for having me on the do you, program. Do you share that opposi- uh, that 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 uh, uh, optimism that uh, Boris and other opposition leaders, surprisingly to some, seem to have uh, in the wake of the death of Alexei Navalny? Uh, yes, in some ways I do. I mean, let me first say that um, I, I hope that I can say anything of substance after this this wonderful uh, presentation of Boris Akunin. It's a, it's a great honor to be on the same show with him, um, and I do share the optimism, although I, I share it mostly for the long term or for the for the midterm perhaps um and right now it is as he also said it is pretty depressing and that was exactly the goal of the regime by first taking um taking out um but Nadezhdin, who was a liberal politician wanting to be on the on a presidential ballot in the upcoming elections taking him out of the race he had inspired a bit of hope that was the first blow and then of course um uh, the, the death of Alexei Navalny. So the regime, uh, the regime, I think, is really trying to play with emotions here and and creating a sense of hopelessness. Um, and so, and and that is pretty successful right now. But we will we will have to see what um, what Yulia Navalny can do. But in the in the long term, I think um, it is very Navalny has has left a, a very important legacy by inspiring people and by giving them also the first experiences of collective action. And um, not just in Moscow, and, and most importantly, I think, in the Russian regions. Mm. How, how fractured is the opposition that remains, do you think? Well, it never was united. Um, and I think that the death of Alexei Navalny may bring them together a bit more. Although it's it's always the question, what opposition are we talking about? Uh, of course, Russia is a is a large country and it is a very diverse political scene. Um, so if if you just very uh, you know crudely divide between liberals, leftists, and nationalists, um, you see already that there will be very different programs behind these three uh, directions, um, and and many people do cannot agree with one another. Um, even even though they're facing this uh, this massive adversary, uh, Putin and the, and the Russian regime, and Navalny has, uh, for for the better part of his political career, tried to bring these three uh, strands together. Mm. Sometimes more successfully, sometimes less successfully, but they still exist, and they choose different uh, strategies now too. And even within, let's say, the liberal opposition, which Navalny was part of, um, there will always there were conflicts and. In, in, um, and difficulties, but I think um, that Navalny's imprisonment um, was already uh, elevating him a little bit above the current politics and and making him a figure that could unite 
unite the liberal opposition and many people beyond that. And now his death, his death definitely will, will be able to do that. It's very difficult to for, for Russians to show solidarity with that opposition. Um, what did you make of, of the footage of people lining up to lay flowers and pay respects to Navalny? Right outside the headquarters of the FSB, the, the security service, mm -hmm. there were flowers that were laid, they would disappear and immediately new flowers would appear. Yes, yes. The, in, in some way, this is actually a a very um, powerful gesture. Um, at the same time, it is also, I think, a, a gesture that speaks a little bit of the of the emotional state of many in the opposition and in the critical uh, um, parts of society. That that it is a lonely gesture, right? It's not a protest where people march in rows and shout things together, but people come up to these memorials one by one. Or in or very small groups and, and and grieving individually, and I think that is, um, it is it is a powerful image, but it's also an image that is speaking to the to the state of loneliness that has at least temporarily, I think, um, affected now now Russian critical society. But I think it will be overcome at some point. We just don't know when. How significant do you think the role uh, that Yulia Navalny could play? his wife. She made a very powerful statement after Alexei Navalny's death. And people are looking for, for other figures, whether they're inside the country, but she's outside the country. But is she going to be somebody who's going to be able to inspire those within Russia to keep fighting? Of course, I don't know for sure. Um, but I think it is very important for her to come forward. And um, it, was a, it was probably a, a relief for many people that she found the courage to do that. And um, Boris Akunin has, has said it already. Uh, it's really, really important, the emotional dimension here. The regime is trying to rule with emotions. It has been ruling with, with uh, positive emotions when it annexed Crimea. We might not like that, but it was a very you know, powerful um, emotional uh, signal that brought people together in pride and 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 happiness, um, even though it was obviously a um, violation of inter international law, etc. Um, but within Russia, it was uh, shared widely in positive spirit. Yeah. But um, now the regime has turned to negative emotions, and it's creating this sense of hopelessness. And to have some put something against this, um, and if it comes from Navalny's family, even even more important. I think that that can be can be actually very powerful and effective. We're just about out of time. So part of this last question in the last couple of minutes that we have is about his political legacy. You said that his greatest achievement in some ways um, was the fight for this idea that one's actions, an individual's person, person's actions can actually make a difference. What do you think that's going to mean in the long term? I think that this will if it if it remains with people who have been active in his uh in his movement particularly as i said um starting in 2016 17 when he built this countrywide network of supporters and and actually an organization that spanned the whole country and that was i think that something that made him very dangerous and thousands of people uh gained their first experience of collective action in these moments. And I was, I was in Russia in the, at the time doing field research, and I speak, spoke to, to many people um, in, these, uh, in these offices, the volunteers and paid staff, etc. And, and I, what I got from that is really a conviction that, that these are people who see Russia in a different light and want it to be a free and democratic and prosperous country. And they take that conviction with them, whether they now in exile, perhaps most of them are, 
um, at some point they will come back and they will remember what they did and they will um, reinvigorate those old networks. And at least that's the hope we can have. But I think it is it is realistic. Once conditions in Russia change, these people will be back. Jan Mati Dolbaum, we'll leave it there. Thank you very much. Thank you. Jan Mati Dolbaum is a political scientist at Ludwig Maximilian University of Munich. He's the co-author of a book called Navalny, Putin's Nemesis, Russia's Future. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.